Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, it's me, your second mask when you are double masking. Look, I know I hurt your ears and I'm a bit uncomfortable, but it is the right thing to do to keep yourself and people around you safe. So how about this? To offset the pain that I'm putting on the outside of your ears, why don't you put some enjoyment inside of your ears by listening to an episode of this podcast? Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. I wanted to provide an update for Raffled Prince. If you don't know what Raffled Prince is, it is a charity fundraiser we're doing here in Potterless through the month of March, where we are supporting three great organizations, and I will be giving away some Potterless prizes. If you go to potterlesspodcast.com slash raffledprince, you can figure out what is up for the raffle and how you can get involved and what charities we're supporting. But at this point, we have over 39 donations, and we've raised over $500, which is fantastic. I'm very excited. We're going into the end of the month so you can join the people who've already donated at potterlesspodcast.com slash raffled prince. I'd also like to thank the newest members of our team over at patreon.com slash potterless for joining the team and supporting the show. So shout out to our newest patron, Aaron Lyle Williamson. Shout out to Samuel Meyerhofer, who upgraded their pledge. A huge shout out to Jasmine Ellis, who upgraded to the producer level status, as well as our newest producer level patron, Nilly. Jasmine and Nilly joined the ranks of Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clown, Marchismo, Juan, Rosemary, Maria, Lisa, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Rachel, Zachary, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zina, Hardlin, Noelia, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Maya, Floor, Georgia, Skyla, Adele, Professor, Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marcos, Marik, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Jarl, Peter, Jan, and Callahan, Leah, Bella, Melanie, Becca, Rees, Adam, Joseph, Madison, Tonks, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Boney, Pony, Kelsey, Ricky, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Erica, Miranda, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Leor, Demi, Michelle, Henrique, Casey, Megan, Sot, Jack, Sophia, Dane, Robin, Chick, Mermaid, Daddykins, Gregory, Kawkaw, Nina, Ribbon, Brittany, Gavin, Jack, Serenity, Emily, Haley, Sabrina, Jenna, Laura, Gila, Eileen, Annette, Kirsten, Hufflepuff, Brett, Mary, Artemis, Trans People or People, Samantha, Nina, Tatiana, Taylor, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Tony, Joe, Punkfish, Wire Warrior, Catherine, Joe, Michael, Maya, Steamed Nuggets, and Cat Eye Potter, who never take off their ring to wash their hands, then immediately forget where they placed their ring, look for it for five minutes only to realize they put it in their pocket. And yes, I've done that twice this week. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus episodes, director's commentary, monthly live streams, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 168 of Potterless, our third of four covering the crimes of Grindelwald, guest starring our own UK correspondent, Dottie James. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 20-year-old man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult. He watched movies. He saw plays. And then, unfortunately, he saw another movie that we're talking about today. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that girl man, and I'm here joined today by a fan favorite special guest. It's been too long since she's been on the podcast, but she's back (laughs) because she requested to be here for these episodes. Let the record show. (laughs) It's our UK correspondent, Dottie James. Dottie, how's it going? Hi. (laughs) I am so happy to be here. I am so happy to be here and to be talking about Harry Potter 
but not this film. I'm so happy that you're going to let me vent. Yes. But I hate this film. <laughs> I mean, that is why you were brought on. It was you said that you really despised this film. And I was like, perfect, because I do, too. So let's just have a big dunk session. And I'm sure there are plenty of people listening to the show that maybe have given up by now that are like, oh, he's just keeps dunking on J.K. Rowling stuff. Well, <laughs> if that's you, turn off this yes. episode. Do not just listen. <laughs> skip it. You know, maybe listen to the ad reads if you want to get some cool stuff. But like, mm. just skip it. <laughs> yeah, because... skip straight to ad read ad read reducer. Ad reducer. And don't listen to any of my input. But um, I, to give you a flavor of like how much I hated this film, because obviously I love Harry Potter, and I like to think that I went into this these films with an open mind. Um, I didn't really have too much of an opinion on the first one, but boy oh boy, do I have such an opinion of the second one that I considered rewriting the entire Fantastic Beast series myself into some sort of script form because my personal belief is that these films are so bad that they can't just be individually nitpicked. They'd have to be completely scrapped and then started again, starting with not using J.K. Rowling as a screenwriter. That would be my favorite. That would be my, my first <laughs> thing that I would change. And that's that's where I want to start. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, so the thing is, like, not only is this movie bad, but the second half of this movie is where it really goes off the rails. And that's what we'll be talking about today. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, so where we last left off is the movie takes us to Hogwarts, and we have Dumbledore teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts. Now, this could just me being ignorant Harry Potter fan and not remembering because I did only read the books once, but didn't Dumbledore teach something else? Wasn't he not the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor? <laughs> there are several things wrong with the Hogwarts scenes. Obviously, they are just there so that you get the nostalgia like rush of like, oh, there's Hogwarts. We all know that's an easy thing to pick on, but... They even play the Hogwarts music and I feel like they I don't know what instruments they added but they added nostalgia instruments yeah. like more violins or <laughs> yeah. something but it was like it was like you took Hedwig's theme and then you put it on cocaine <laughs> like, that's exactly it's it it's even more bright and whimsical you get the rush of endorphins of seeing Hogwarts and then everything <laughs> goes to shit so Dumbledore is teaching defense against the dark arts in this film we know that Dumbledore was a transfiguration teacher that's what I thought and I've realized that the reason he is teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts in this might be twofold, and they're not justified. Um, <laughs> is One is that they really wanted a Boggart scene where they show Lita Lestrange seeing her Boggart of the uh, tumbling, drowning baby. The second reason, and I think this is the actual reason perhaps, is that they wanted Professor McGonagall in the film. Even though she was supposed to be like four years old. <laughs> yes, wouldn't have been born for like another eight years, I believe. So completely made up like they, they just really wanted her in this film or they wanted the scene with the boggart so they put dumbledore playing the defense against the dark arts teacher for whatever reason and then needed someone to be the transfiguration teacher so they were like oh we'll make mcgonagall be alive earlier than she was supposed to be like those two things i think are why he is the defense against the dark arts teacher but yeah initially i fully thought it was because they wanted mcgonagall so like someone's already the transfiguration teacher let's just put dumbledore as the defense against the dark I arts guess. teacher yeah and the thing is i've gone on record i will never complain about more mcgonagall in anything no. i think it's yeah. a great thing to have i just wish that rather than 
update things on Pottermore because I think they had to like delete stuff or change <laughs> birthdays. Like they did something to cover it up a little bit because I think I think the situation is like according to the book, she's supposed to be one age. According to Pottermore, she's supposed to be another age. And then this movie ruins both of them. Oh, yeah. So they took down Pottermore stuff. It's just I would have loved. And of course, J.K. Rowling wouldn't do this. But I would have loved if J.K. was just straight up and was like, look, do you you guys we're getting more McGonagall. What's the problem? And everyone would have been like, sure. Like, who gives a damn? Like, it doesn't matter if you just want to rewrite stuff. It is totally OK. Like retconning happens all the time. Yeah. And this is like the least offensible retcon. But yeah. the fact that it just was kind of swept under the rug as much as possible. Yeah. It's just I personally am not mad about her being there. Yeah. It's the cover up, not the crime yeah. of Grindelwald. Fully, fully. Yeah. I think J.K. Rowling has said before that she's bad at dates. And that's fine, but it kind of matters. <laughs> <laughs> when the canon of your story depends on certain people being alive at certain times, like that kind of matters. And I just, I've lost so much respect for her for many things, especially the turfiness, but just, this is your thing. This is your job. This is what you're making. It's your world that you made. Yes. <laughs> Why would you ignore it? <laughs> Ugh, it makes no sense. And there's a difference between being bad at dates. Like, I'm bad at names. I'm so terrible at names because I always second guess myself that I'm going to say someone's name wrong, even though I know it. And I get so scared about that, <laughs> that I try to just not say someone's name. Because there was one time in college where in a very public setting, I called someone whose name was... Her name was Joanna and I called her Julia and it was in front of a crowd of like 150 plus people. Oh my gosh. And and like a normal mistake, but like everyone collectively that groaned and I've never recovered. Oh <laughs> so like I'm bad at names. It's a thing. It happens in the moment to be bad at dates. You're writing this yes. and you're planning this. So you get to like double check. Yeah. And not only are you making something, but you're making something where like fans on their own have dedicated so much time to making the Harry mm -hmm. Potter wiki and all of these resources. You have the benefit of just being able to Google, when is McGonagall born? Yes. <laughs> yes. Any other author, like most other authors cannot Google the facts of their own plot line. I think she's got lazy. I think she's got very complacent and I think she's got very cocky with her ability to world create but outside of the art form that she's actually is her job so she's she's continued this world but in film form and just been like i can be a screenwriter you don't need like to know <laughs> how to do that in order to do that i can just do it's it it's got writing in the name i yeah, do that it's still words like, <laughs> it's just not the same <laughs> it's still words that's great i love that i'm going to try to start saying that where anything that involves me talking like yeah i could be an audiobook narrator it's just talking <laughs> yes. but the only thing i can think about the whole mcgonagall stuff is that maybe in her grand idea of what was supposed to be a five film franchise who knows what it's going to be now yeah maybe there was a reason that she put McGonagall in. Maybe she becomes really important in movie three, four, or five. Yeah. But on its own, to put her into this movie where McGonagall doesn't do anything except for oh, yeah. yell at Lita Lestrange and chase after her. Oh my gosh. All of this ridiculousness that has upset many fans for many different reasons just doesn't feel worth it because she doesn't do anything. It's not worth <laughs> it. You're so right. It's just not worth it. <sighs> so... We have Dumbledore's Defense Against the Dark Arts class, and we've got McGonagall. I gotta say, the actress, whoever she is, does a good Maggie Smith impression. Yeah. Gotta hand it to her. It very convincingly sounded like Maggie Smith. Yes. Then the movie does two things almost back to back where it's just this fan service trying to get the audience to do the Leonardo DiCaprio 
pointing at the screen meme mm-hmm. thing because yeah. <laughs> one of the students is McClagan, so I guess Cormac's dad or uncle or something. Oh, my goodness. And then after they start the scene here, Travers comes in because Travers is the head of magical law enforcement, future Death Eater, I think, unless this is another oh, situation yeah. where this is like Travers' dad or right. a relative of Travers. But again, it's just, oh, look, it's two last names that you know, and it's back to back. It's ridiculous. So everything in this scene is terrible. (laughs) The biggest glaring problem to me is, again, this film has failed itself on every level of being made, apart from, I would argue, the acting is is okay. Like, the acting is fine, I would say. Yeah, so many actors doing the best they can with what they are given. Dan Fogler brings so much to the table for a script that does him no favors. Yes, I yeah, I, I just, the acting is the only thing I'm not particularly keen on criticizing in this film because I think they did a great job. But, Everything else, down to the camera work, <laughs> down to everything else. And I, I'm, I'm an author. I don't know anything about film, but I've watched video essays. Like, I, <laughs> I've done enough. And um, the costume, which I'm sure you've talked about yeah. throughout this series, has failed at the Harry Potter world so much. Like, the half of Harry Potter world is supposed to be that they've been stuck in the same fashions with the same trends since the Middle Ages. That's how I always understood it. They still use quills and all that sort of thing. Everything that makes it sort of magic-y. I feel like J.K. Rowling then also was like, do you know what is cool, though? Do you know what looks really cool? The 1920s. I mean, it does look cool. It does look but cool. it just She's raises questions. The wizards in the 1920s would have still been wearing robes. They didn't participate in muggle fashion, like as far as I can tell. Yeah. That's it. They 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 just wore long jewels, you know, things. Dumbledore walked around with his long beard. But <laughs> in this, he's wearing a three-piece suit. Mm-hmm. And not even a purple one, just a gray three-piece suit. Just a gray three-piece suit. And I think this takes place like less than 50 years before the first Harry Potter film. So what on earth happens to Dumbledore in those 50 years that makes him an old haggard wizard. (laughs) Yeah. It's at least like 50 years before the first flashback, like the Tom Riddle flashback or so, because this is like 1927, I think. So it's enough time where the transition from Jude Law 3 suit to Tom Riddle flashback that we get in the movies makes no sense. The thing I could see maybe is like, maybe because it's still a time where wizards are trying to blend in, Mm -hmm. they started to wear suits and not robes and stuff because they wanted to like look like the other people. But again, with all of these issues, it's just because it's never addressed. Never addressed. Never talked about so you just have all these questions of like when do they change from suits to robes and when did the hogwarts uniforms change from having the colored ones to the black ones and stuff like that i was like surely that's a really easy like leonardo dicaprio pointing at the camera thing is to just have the hogwarts (laughs) costume be the same that's that's super easy and simple yeah and this is even something I could also see the argument being there's only so much you could do in a movie. You can't devote so much time to explaining everything. And I don't know if this exists, but maybe if J.K. Rowling made like a companion article on Pottermore or a book or something that's just an explanation of how this world exists and why things are different. There could have been something that explains all these questions. And I get that it's overanalyzing, but like, that's what Harry Potter fans are going to do. I don't get how you make a prequel and not predict that people are going to do this kind of thing. I'm fully aware that muggle clothing in the films came about because of Alfonso Cuaron. That's like the actual answer. But in the world, (laughs) it makes no (laughs) sense. And as a fan, 
bugs me. It bugs me. So yeah, this scene with Cormac McLaggen, who has a very like 2016 hairstyle, yeah. <laughs> I was very weirded <laughs> out by that. <laughs> oh, it's not Cormac McLaggen. It's his yeah, his Cormac Senior <laughs> pop. Yeah, o- older <laughs> McLaggen. But what I realize about this scene. I didn't realize it as much when this happens with Lupin, but watching it upon this time, the fact that this lesson exists is terrible. You are getting people in front of all of their classmates to show everyone what their biggest fear is. Yes. Uh, that seems horrible. That is ripe for bullying. It's so exceeds what you should show in a classroom. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm not surprised because Hogwarts has terrible standards and practices and looking out for the mental well-being of their students. But it's just a horrible lesson. That is so bad. I think it should still be done, but it should be all one-on-one private stuff with teacher and student like Harry and Lupin do later on. Maybe it helps to like laugh at things. I don't know. But like, yes, I agree with you. That Yeah, she sees a dead baby. Right. Which I'm also interested in. My fiance brought up that that's her worst fear, but it's something that happened already. Yeah. So it's like a memory? Maybe it's like the fear of repercussion or the fear of that coming to light. Yeah. You know, if you yes. if you did Head cannon. I guess it's like <laughs> yeah, she she's afraid that someone will find out and then oh no, now people know I accidentally murdered someone indirectly. So I also noticed when she sees the baby um drowning there was a massive expansion on what I thought boggarts could achieve. So it became like not only the baby drowning. Also, the water. Like, it was like the whole room. Yeah, yeah. I was like, (laughs) this is really bizarre. Um, I did notice that this film, particularly the latter half, which we're going to talk about, is full of weird projection magic where they're just watching things happen from their wands or or like, you know, the weird hookah skull thing that comes about later. (laughs) Yep, yep. Um, There's so many just... Instances where in the Muggle world they would have just used a projector or their phone, but they use magic to like show the audience literally <laughs> what they're thinking of. A whole whole lot of that that just never translates to stuff that happens later on in the uh, original movies. Never. The magic in the Fantastic Beast worlds doesn't correlate to the magic in Harry Potter at all. Like no, which is why making a prequel is a bad idea in my mind because now if you want to invent new spells that are cool you have the problem of wondering why people don't use those spells anymore. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so Travers Sr., re- relative of Travers, comes in. He's the head of magical law enforcement, and he wants Dumbledore to fight Grindelwald, and Dumbledore refuses. He says that him and Grindelwald were closer than brothers, which I guess, like, that's J.K. Rowling's way of saying that they had a relationship to saying we're closer than brothers. <laughs> that's I as know. far as you will go, is to saying that someone is canonically gay. That's not representation. <laughs> I I think she's got rid of the storyline that they are gay and love each other, as far as I can tell. Because apart from that line, the reason that Dumbledore can't fight Grindelwald is because of a blood pact. Yeah. Not because he loved him, which is more interesting. Yeah, it's like a promise that they made and they have to break the keychain thing. It's know. strange to bring in the blood pact. It's... Also strange that, and I know J.K. Rowling took heat for this, is when it was coming out that there was no relationship of the two of them, Dumbledore and Grindelwald, in this movie. There was an article. People took heat. J.K. was like, you haven't seen the movie yet. Like, how can you write this article? And then, of course, the movie has nothing. And then she had that weird quote where she was like, their relationship was like deeply passionate or whatever she said. (laughs) I just don't understand how she does this where she talks a big game but doesn't actually write it. 
I always felt like the Dumbledore's McGay the whole time thing wasn't handled very well. Yeah. She had the opportunity to just make it not a big deal in this movie. You can make representation things happen and make it not a big deal. And all Dumbledore has to say is like, I loved him. We were, someone can explain at some point that they had a relationship without like trying to say cutesy things like we were closer than brothers or whatever. Yes. But another thing, and I didn't want to get into this too much because I'm not well versed in this, but I know people also talk about Newt and Credence maybe being on the spectrum, maybe on the yeah. autism spectrum as well. And I've talked to a few people about it, and I know that there's differing opinions on it. But again, it just feels like these are things where if you're going to make that choice, make it direct yeah. and don't like make... Don't make it a quirk. Yeah, don't make like allusions to it and then say, oh, if you interpret it, the point of representation is just to have representation. Yes. So... I feel like with that and with this Dumbledore thing, I was disappointed that it wasn't just straight up. And you're right. The blood pack thing makes it weird. Like, just make the reason. Like, I love him. Yeah. And that can be a whole little scene. And that can then check the box of like, yes. Dumbledore is canonically gay. Huzzah, we yes. did it. And again, she squandered that opportunity. Yeah. Squandered the opportunity. And then even separate to you. And it's like, it takes a leap to separate how sad it is that she didn't go into a gay love story when she could have done like the representation isn't there and that really sucks but also just for good writing yeah. just two characters that love each other that can't fight each other because of that reason is so much more interesting emotionally than oh there's a magic necklace that needs to get broken <laughs> <laughs> like it's just bad writing that's all agreed agreed so then there is a Lita Lestrange flashback and this is where Lita Lestrange closes the mouth of a girl who is talking smack I appreciate <laughs> yeah. this McGonagall then chases after her and McGonagall who is a witch with magical abilities just runs yeah. after her awkwardly and doesn't do any sort of spell to make her stop see I don't think that's very McGonagall I don't think McGonagall would have run after her I think McGonagall would have just been like no McGonagall uh, would have been like <laughs> Petrificus totalis, and now let me yell at you while you're frozen in place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't get how you're going to bring McGonagall into this movie and then make her the butt of a joke. I know. Like, she's McGonagall. I guess maybe she's young. We have no idea what age she is because who the hell knows? Who could say? But, <laughs> like, maybe this is her first year and she's not her sassy self yet. But maybe. I don't know. It just felt strange that wizard professor who doesn't take crap from students later on didn't do anything. Fully. I Yeah, I agree. I did appreciate the fact that she zapped the girl's mouth shut again. I thought that was really funny. Oh, yes. That was good. Yeah. Yes. But it goes against, um, oh, no, it doesn't. Never mind. I was going to say it goes against not using magic as a punishment but it's not that they don't use magic as a punishment it's that they don't use transfiguration as a punishment <laughs> she mm. says to moody fake moody there we go there we go in this flashback we have young newt and the actor who does young newt does an incredible eddie redmayne impression oh, yeah. from voice to mannerisms to hair everything when i first saw this i was like did they do some sort of CGI to Eddie Redmayne? Like, because he looks kind of different. I had to look it up and it was like, oh, it's a different person. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think they cast him and his younger self and his brother really well. They all look very similar to Eddie Redmayne. Definitely, definitely. So this is then where we have the ridiculous class. This is where it should be a one-on-one. -on -one. Newt is afraid of desk work. Lita is afraid of. And I forgot the whole, I remembered that she has some big reveal, but I totally forgot what it was. So at the time in my notes, I wrote, Lita is afraid of dot, dot, dot a falling sheet <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, that is so funny that you say that because it's been like um, widely criticized that Harry doesn't recognize the moon, the moon right? And <laughs> yeah. it's like you're the, the insert this. for Harry there. It's great. It's it means it's realistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, the falling sheet makes more sense than the moon because, like, oh yeah, uh, the baby was wrapped in a sheet, but the moon, like does look like the moon but yeah it's very reminiscent of that scene but also i wouldn't have rem- unless i'd seen it before i would have no clue and that's obviously what they want you to to think so yeah yeah that's what they're going for it works better in a movie as opposed to a book where the book describes it as a silvery orb and then you just have to trust that harry doesn't know what the moon looks like right <laughs> so beyond the flashback it's present time in the movie 1927 lita is on campus and talks with dumbledore and he Drops a little hint about there's rumors about what happened to Corvus, her dead brother. So just kind of like planting the seed of something we're going to learn later. But it's done in a strange way where it feels like very out of nowhere that Dumbledore says this. Like it doesn't feel like it works its way into the conversation. No, everything in this film happens that way. I'm really impressed by you navigating it without it being on screen because it's confusing even then, where they just hop from thing to thing and you're like, who is this character? Oh, okay, okay. You're going to tell me in about 70 words. Um, They use a lot of names without really explaining anything until like they have huge dialogue scenes. I didn't pick up that they were talking about like the baby or anything like that. No, I didn't either. He just makes it clear that it's her dead brother and then you just have to wonder who it is. I feel like they have a really forced relationship as well. Dumbledore and her and it's like, does Dumbledore just love everyone? Like everyone? <laughs> Probably, but it's weird. Uh, yeah, it feels a little forced for sure. And this is something that other shows and movies do. I know the West Wing does this a lot where you'll have characters talking about something that the audience doesn't know. And that can be frustrating at times. But an episode of the West Wing is only 40 minutes or so. So usually it's wrapped up in a normal time. This movie is like two hours and 15 minutes. And this part where they mention Corvus doesn't get resolved for another like 45 minutes. So it's just a long time in between. Oh, I wonder what they're talking about until the payoff of, oh, that's what they were talking about. You're right, actually. There are films and and TV shows that do almost start to clue you in even if you don't know what they're talking about you you want to know i didn't really want to know (laughs) i didn't really (laughs) care and the whole harry potter series is like a big detective series but she's not really giving us enough clues right we know something's going on we know we're supposed to know something that we don't know but there's no guesses like i didn't have any guesses like there's no oh it's ludo bagman or oh it's credence's sister from the orphanage there's no like nothing yeah in this movie in particular it is just them confusing you and then revealing stuff with big monologues or flashbacks or both yeah so dumbledore in this conversation then talks about ariana he says that confession can help her and regret will harm her i don't know how dumbledore knows that lita did all this stuff because it feels like no one else knows about this even lita's direct family doesn't even know the truth so it's very confusing that dumbledore Um, seems to be coming from a place of knowing what's up. I have no idea. Or maybe he just senses something is wrong. In my head, like, I can throw a headcanon at it that, I mean, Dumbledore knows legitimacy. Mm, Okay. We find out by this, like, the sixth or seventh Harry Potter book. So maybe he's doing that. Maybe he's literally just reading her mind. Yeah. They don't allude to that. That is really weird. I didn't pick up on that at all. <laughs> I wonder if Dumbledore could read my mind to know that I was about to jump in right here. Hey, it's me editing, Mike. How's it going, everyone? You don't have to be a mind reader to know that I'm about to say that we got to take a little bit of a break for Wingardium Adriosa.
Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Function of Beauty. Let's say hypothetically that you are Theseus Commander and you've got awesome hair. You want to keep your hair awesome. How can you do so? You can use Function of Beauty. Function of Beauty is the world leader in customizable beauty, offering precise formulations for your hair's specific needs. Here's how you do it. You take a quick but thorough quiz to tell them a little bit about your hair type, your hair goals, if you want to lengthen your hair, volumize your hair like me, oil control your hair also like me. Then you choose your color and your fragrance, or you can go fragrance-free or dye-free. I've chosen fragrances in the past. I've gone with peach body wash. I've gone with eucalyptus hair. I've gone with lavender hair, and I go dye-free just because no one else is seeing my shampoo, so I don't really need it to look pretty, but hey, if you want to look at your shampoo and have it look pretty, you can add dyes and fun colors. They've got a whole bunch. Then Function of Beauty's team determines the perfect blend of ingredients, they bottle up your formula, and they deliver it directly to you. What's also nice about the hair goals that we mentioned earlier is that you can change them with the seasons, so if your hair behaves differently for each season, you can keep changing your goals each season. Function of Beauty only uses vegan and cruelty-free ingredients, and they never use sulfate or parabens. You can also go completely silicone-free if that's how you'd like your products to be. There's over 54 trillion possible formulations. I also just enjoy saying the word formulations. And Function of Beauty has over 50,000 real five-star reviews. So never buy off the shelf just to be disappointed ever again. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash potterless to take your quiz and save 20% on your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash potterless to let them know that we sent you and to get 20% off your order. So again, go to functionofbeauty.com slash potterless to make your hair looking as fresh as Theseus Scamanders today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% right off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you collect some cards or rip open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. So we then cut to Queenie with the French henchwoman, the French woman, if you will, of Grindelwald. (laughs) And Queenie wants to leave. They're inside the house that they've taken shelter in after they murder the whole family for no reason. Queenie wants to leave, but the French girl says, you haven't met our host yet. So enter Grindelwald. And Queenie immediately is like, hey, that's Grindelwald, and points her wand at him, which is a good instinct. Right. Appreciate that. Correct thing to do. It's the last sane thing she does in the film. That's for sure. (laughs) It's the last in-character thing. Exactly. The last thing that kind of makes sense to the character that has been established. But he starts monologuing, and this is, I believe, his. it's supposed to be, similar to Tom Riddle, Grindelwald is supposed to be this great, persuasive orator that is supposed to manipulate people with his words. Yeah. Maybe it's the writing. Maybe it's the acting. I don't know what it is. It doesn't come across. Not at all. Like, (laughs) it's not convincing at all. When you watch a movie like Black Panther, where Michael B. Jordan is Killmonger, and he has some extreme views, but some of the things kind of make sense, and then the way he says it, part of you watching the movie is like, is Killmonger right? Right. And that's what makes him a great villain. In this case, nothing he says is convincing. Nothing is like, oh, he's got a point there. It's all just like vague epithets. It might be the the acting. I don't know. This is the only point in which I would talk about the acting. I don't love Johnny Depp's performance. We won't talk about his involvement. But like, yeah, I don't love his performance in the same way that I loved Colin Farrell's performance. Again, they should have just kept him. I know you guys have said that already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's not likable. He's supposed to be likable. Like you say, they have all these lines about how he's got a silver spoon in his mouth and and they've cut out his tongue so that he can't talk. And I don't get that. I don't like him. I don't think he's convincing. He says a bunch of racist stuff and that's kind of it. <laughs> yeah, and even if you have someone with whacked out beliefs, you can write a villain in a way that makes him feel convincing. And it just... I just don't think it translates. He just seems evil for evil's sake. Right. There are some weird decisions that they made with Grindelwald in this film where they've tried to make some of his stuff like funny, but only in three very specific parts that I remember. So there's the bit at the beginning where they have the carriage and he knocks on the window in a weird way. <laughs> like yeah. He just like appears in the window twice. And I'm just like, oh, that's, that was like a weird fever dream. Anyway, then there is later on when he has the whole blue dragon thing and it's swelling up. He's disappearing and he just goes, I hate Paris. Yeah. And then like disappears. And I'm like, is that supposed to, is that what's supposed to make you likable? Like, are you supposed to be relatable? I don't get it. You're a big, evil, scary man. I hate this wonderful city that is universally beloved. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, in this scene, especially with Queenie, I don't think he says anything that justifies her completely abandoning all of her morals. Right. <laughs> joining this murderer. He doesn't say anything convincing. He doesn't say anything that really appeals to what Queenie stands for because her whole shtick at this point, her main points of frustration with the wizarding world is that she can't just marry Jacob and everything be okay. And he doesn't say anything that goes along with that. And in general, I just don't really get what his deal is from his monologues. It's hard, at least for me, to understand what the Grindelwald thesis statement is. Yes. If someone had to ask me what's his deal, the only things I would be able to go on is book seven stuff that Dumbledore said about Grindelwald. That's because true. specifically from these two movies, I don't really get 
what his deal is, yeah. except maybe he doesn't like muggles. I know. So why is Queenie joining? Right. That's the thing that makes no sense. Her whole thing is that she wants to be with this muggle that she loves and she doesn't want it to be a big deal. And he is not about that at all. He doesn't even lie and pretend that he's about that in some weird workaround no. way. There's just nothing. He even says in his big speech at the end, he says the words, our muggles are not below us. They are other than us. And I'm like, yeah, but to be other is super bad. Like, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> They're not below us, but I do believe in segregation. Like, yes! that, that's not convincing. Can we talk about the fact that if Queenie and Jacob just moved to London, they'd be able to get married? Yes. At length, <laughs> this has been discussed where the okay. whole plot of this could have just been resolved of him coming to London, and then they're fine. Yes. Like, just emigrate. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So we cut to Dumbledore in front of a mirror. I guess it's the mirror of the Erised. <gasps> and he's looking in the mirror, but it doesn't, again, it's like, it's maybe the mirror of the Erised because he looks in the mirror and it's a flashback of him and Grindelwald making this blood-packed keychain. And then that's it. Yeah. It's one of those projections that I was talking about. They're, they're just using magic for projections, but that's not how the mirror of Erised works. No. So it must be like a similar mirror. Like it's what is what's flashback backwards because it's the it's that like it's the <laughs> let me just type out flashback yeah it's it's the mirror of kakab hasal okay <laughs> like, <laughs> it sounds convincing to be honest before anyone comes like screaming at you in like the comments or whatever I think because I was desperately trying to work this out in my head I was like they, this has to make sense she couldn't have got it this wrong I think it is the mirror mirror of Erised and I think it is that what Dumbledore desires the most at that moment is the blood-packed necklace. Oh. I'm not saying that's good. I don't think that should have happened. I don't know why he had to look at that in the mirror when he knows that that's what he wants, but that's what I think happened. Okay, yeah. It just felt very convenient. And the other thing is, from what we've seen with the Mirror of Erised, it doesn't show you necessarily a memory. It's just you with the thing. surrounded by whatever you want. So it's... Neville with his parents, it's Ron with the Quidditch trophies and stuff. It doesn't like, Ron doesn't look into the mirror and see him winning a Quidditch match. He looks into the mirror and he is holding a trophy or a medal or whatever. I think this is an instance of J.K. Rowling not knowing how to write a film because in a book, she could have described, I just think the whole thing should have been a book. <laughs> and, <laughs> she could have described this in like narration and in Dumbledore's memories, whatever, but she had to show us and she was like, I don't know how to show things. So oh, he'll just see it. He'll just see it in a magic mirror. Mm -hmm. They'll just see it like projected out of their wands or in a crystal ball as we use later. Yeah, I guess what's so strange about the way it's done in this movie with projection stuff or flashbacks out of nowhere is that a lot of the things in the books are people having conversations and explaining stuff. And that can feel expository, but kind of works. I would be totally fine if people just had conversations that explained it yes. because they end up doing that towards the end of the film with the Lita thing, which oh is a mess. But at least it like kind of makes sense in that you have one person who knows about something and people who don't talking about it rather than just vague thing where we have to wonder what the magic is. Exactly. And I think a big reason it probably works in Harry Potter is because like you're coming from Harry's perspective Harry doesn't know anything usually and um, and you're learning about it like with him that's such a big part of why Harry Potter works and in the films but in these films she'd made a problem for herself with like the person is already a wizard they already know how magic works obviously she used Jacob for that I I kind of think she has the wrong main character like I think she should have chosen someone where she could 
show magic as if they didn't know or or something like that you you lose who is the main character towards the end of this film anyway because there's so many characters in there and we're not following especially like on his shoulder we're just there yeah the 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 seven minute i timed it the um exposition scene that you're talking about is seven and a half minutes long later on in film i put my timer on because i remembered it being like obnoxiously long but even in that they use flashbacks and they're not even just talking to each other but in the prisoner of azkaban they do just talk to each other and they don't use flashbacks with the big exposition that um serious is good Mm -hmm. that's just in conversation and it works and it's fine you do that (laughs) Like you said. If your explanation is so complicated that you need flashbacks, it's probably too complicated. Oh, yeah, exactly. We don't make films, but we know that. (laughs) She was making a film and didn't change it. (laughs) We've seen video essays. (laughs) So we cut to Newt inside of the case. He releases the Zowu. Then there's a kind of fun Jacob awkward scene of him trying to get Newt to talk to Tina one-on-one. Jacob, always great. Need more Jacob. Love him. He comes out of the suitcase and talks to Tina. They also go over to Yusuf Kama, and he's got a parasite in his eye? He has passed out. So then, it's actually a fun scene. They ask Jacob for tweezers, and there's a fun little wizard verse muggle confusion where they start to describe tweezers to him and he has to tell them I know what tweezers are it makes me feel like if we were having a conversation and I'm trying to explain like a silly American word and you're like no in in England we also call it this similarly (laughs) silly word it's also a slinky or whatever (laughs) I love Jacob I think Jacob deserved a better film yeah and and I'm sad that you didn't get one If, if he was the main character it could have actually worked with learning stuff on the spot for sure yeah so the, the the weird parasite thing that they pull out of um, Kama's eye is terrifying. That's a <laughs> horrifying <laughs> image. But they hand it to Jacob. He says calamari. <laughs> then, great. Loved yeah, it. So great. But then we don't know where he puts it. He just goes out of shot. just puts it in the trash, I guess? It's a terrifying thing. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's, that's the end of that noodle. <laughs> Parasite. (laughs) Yep, out of sight, out of mind. So this made me write in my notes, is the movie's whole thing, is their whole deal just trying to add beasts whenever it can? Because when we go later on into the books, the Harry Potter books, there aren't this many beasts just like doing normal stuff or everybody having a beast and stuff like that. And I felt like this movie was just trying to hit their quota of beasts because it's under the Fantastic Beasts franchise and the plot has almost nothing to do with beasts at this point. So they're just trying to throw them in at any instance they can. It feels so excessive. You're so right. As we were watching um, that scene, actually, my fiance Patty was like, why is this thing happening? Like, is he passed out for a reason? Like, why is this thing in his eye? And I was like, I think it's just so that they can point at it and go, look, there's a beast. So shut up. (laughs) I, I think that's it. I was confused because I was like, did someone put it there? Did someone do something? And no, it's just, it just is there. And then that's why he passed out. That's it. Oh yeah. And then they take it out. It's ridiculous. So then Tina leaves, Newt goes after her. And then Grindelwald starts to call his followers together with giant satin sheets (laughs) that look like exterminator tents that go over houses when you fumigate an entire house. This is the least discreet thing (laughs) possible for guy that's on the run. (laughs) Like, what the hell? I don't understand how secrets work in this film anymore because like first of all we weren't keeping anything a secret from the muggles in the first film like they could just you know do whatever they wanted and then rain on them and now it's like we're not even trying to keep secrets from within the wizard community. <laughs> it's just like no i'm here 
by the way, I'm in the middle of Paris. <laughs> yeah, I guess his whole deal was much like Bane in The Dark Knight Rises is trying to lure all the auras <laughs> in the same room so he can kill as many as possible. Like, I guess that's his end game, but it feels like a bold move to be the public enemy number one and then make a bit, put up a bunch of billboards in Paris. It's like, hey guys, <laughs> here's where I am. <laughs> it's so showy. It's like the dark mark is like very cool, right? Um, or I think anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool and it serves a purpose. Whereas this is just... Why, why black ribbons? <laughs> why <laughs> giant sheets folding over buildings? Mm -hmm. oh. Can muggles see this? Is it a wizard only thing? It's very confusing. I am assuming that muggles can literally not see anything anymore because <laughs> it doesn't work if they can. <laughs> the entrance to their diagon alley is in the middle of a muggle street with a statue that moves. <laughs> not an alleyway that you tap bricks. It's a statue that moves. It's, it's ridiculous. So we cut to Grindelwald on a roof where Credence is giving seeds to a bird because gotta hit that beast quotient. And Credence and Nagini are staying together in, I guess, like an abandoned attic or something. People never eat in this movie either. So it's like <laughs> all these people staying in places and never getting food. It's confusing. <laughs> Jacob brings it up at one point, which is nice, but like no one ever eats. So Credence asks what Grindelwald wants. And Grindelwald says he wants nothing and then asks what Credence wants. And Credence says he wants to know who he is. Grindelwald invites him to his rally and basically says, you'll learn all you need to know at my rally. It's going to be great. And then, of course, th as he leaves, just big Eiffel Tower in the background. So there, I don't know what housing was like. <laughs> <We're in> Paris. <laughs> this is Paris, everyone. Paris. <laughs> it's definitely what they did because the first movie's like, we're in New York the whole time. Yeah. I don't know what housing was like in Paris in 1927. Feels like loft upper floor room in building that's half a block away from the Eiffel Tower probably wouldn't be vacant. True. So, so true. And wouldn't look so like run down. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe it would. I don't know, but I don't think it would. I don't think so. The area around the Eiffel Tower is a very fancy part of Paris. Everything is pretty nice. So to have like a really shady rundown, but maybe it was different in 1927. Who's to say? But... Feels unlikely. Also, everyone has like a really weird obsession with, well, specifically Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Maybe this is their connection. Like maybe this is why they fell in love. They love being on rooftops. They just love it. Oh, yeah. a lot of film. rooftop, a lot of <laughs> rooftop conversations because you got to remind people what city they're in. So true. So now we cut to Jacob waking up and he is in the apartment and he meets Nicholas Flamel. Oh so Nicholas gosh. Flamel, to try to get another character we know in the mix, he is the owner of this safe house that they were in. And Flamel is very old and he has some sort of crystal ball that he shows Jacob. He does this like little old man jog over to the crystal ball. It's ridiculous. Quite. I kind of like it. I can't tell if I like it or not. I like it because it's at least fun. Yes. It's at least something fun. It's something for your brain to go like... That's more entertaining than like seven minute exposition scenes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So he has this crystal ball, which I don't know what it is in the magical world. It's another one of the projections. Yeah. Jacob <laughs> makes an allusion to like crystal ball, crystal ball, muggle world stuff, which is kind of funny. I, yeah, I liked that scene. He was like, yeah, she she missed out. The fortune teller missed out a bunch of stuff. I really liked that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Jacob in this crystal ball sees Queenie and then he leaves. And this made me question 
Can Flamel just see everything that's happening in a crystal ball? Feels like this crystal ball would have been very useful in other books, but we just never hear about them. Or maybe like Trelawney would have found a crystal ball that actually worked Uh very useful. (laughs) And maybe that's it. Maybe Flamel has divination powers, but I don't know that that was ever established. But after Jacob runs out after Queenie, Jacob, who doesn't know where Queenie really is? No. Like, he knows the actual location, but I don't know that he knows directions on how to get there. There's no Google Maps in the 1920s. (laughs) (laughs) He's just going like, Lestrange Vault. Enter. (laughs) Got it. I know where this is. And he also just can't ask anyone this. so true. Maybe that's what he does. He just asks everybody until someone says He uses his high school French to like, (laughs) Ouella, Lestrange Vault. (laughs) (laughs) But then Flamel goes over to a book and then talks to a black woman in the book. Oh, yeah. And he talks to her because he saw the future in the ball as well, and it was bad. Who is she? Who is she? (laughs) I'm sure people know, and we'll get emails, and that's fine, but like, who is this person? Also, she's a photograph, right? And I thought, my my Potter, like, nerd brain was going like they don't talk to photographs like no they talk to portraits yes they talk to portraits and it's like jk rowling you wrote this yeah you wrote this Ah! if you wanted him to talk just make it a painting it doesn't matter who is this person how does this work and then why does it happen because all she does is say like you gotta help nick and then he's like all right fine it makes no sense and it's never mentioned again and that's bad filmmaking yeah and maybe it is something that super fans are keen into and knowing who that is but maybe you should make your movie a little more accessible to non-super fans even though i've done this podcast and am really in depth i have only read the books once every time i've read each book once but i still feel like i know enough about harry potter and the world that i should be the baseline of like normal fan like normal person that cares more than just casual fan and I would feel like if I have no idea who the hell this person is, many people are confused. No one's going to know. Yeah. And um, I think someone pointed out uh, online that the Harry Potter films, a lot of them actually don't make a lot of sense if you don't know anything about the books. Like there are some things that don't get explained unless you find out yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think perhaps what she's done is been like, oh, I'm used to having an informed audience who know <laughs> everything before they see these things so i can just kind of get away with like not including details of like how people know each other i I just feel like that's everywhere in this there's yeah 100 we would know if there was a book again (laughs) if this was a book first we would know who that was exactly Dottie, you may have a point there hey it's me editing mike how's it going everyone so i did look into this apparently this person is eulalie hicks who is an american witch and charms professor at Morney. so maybe in that big Isle Vermorny thing that was on the website formerly known as Pottermore, now wizardingworld.com. Maybe in that big write-up it explained this, and according to the Harry Potter wiki, she was supposed to play or I guess still is supposed to play a substantial role in the third Fantastic Beasts movie. I don't know if that's going to change, if they change how many movies there are or whatever. Regardless, I still think it's a wild decision to have her here and then just everyone has to wait a whole movie to figure out who that was, unless they maybe read this Isle Vermorny thing ahead of time. Very strange, very confused, but anyway... Let's get back to the podcast. So another thing is Kama is also gone 
He's just not here anymore. So yeah, he left very, at very some speedy. point. He woke up and left. Oh, did you did you notice the Philosopher's Stone? Yes, I did. <laughs> and it just felt again like the Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Oh, look, it's the thing. It's yep, the stone is there. It's just in his cupboard next to like the spices. Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just there. Super casual. Super duper casual. Yeah. Especially because this is apparently a safe house where people just come in willy-nilly and it's not a big deal. I know. They're there for like hours before he comes downstairs. What if someone wanted the Philosopher's Stone? <laughs> so then we come to a scene of Newt using Polyjuice Potion to disguise himself as Theseus and sneak into the French ministry, which I guess is now just par for the course in the wizarding world, so I shouldn't get upset at this anymore. He just waltzes in yeah. and there's no security. I guess this is just how government buildings in the wizarding world work, is that nobody cares. No, no one cares. They, they just do whatever they want. Nothing actually in this scene makes any sense to me. And it's very pretty. Like, the building looks nice and stuff like that. But, um... They walk in to this. They then like walk into the like <laughs> the place with all the drawers. <laughs> yeah, what, what the hell is that place? <laughs> and there's no consequences until Cat Lady comes in. So, so yeah, continue. But none of it makes sense to me. None of it does. But we cut to Abernathy putting the book from before into the Lestrange tomb, and Jacob arrives, and apparently Jacob just knew where it was. And somehow got into the ministry and then got into the tomb? Jacob's a muggle. And he just gets there. <laughs> For the plot. <laughs> and if Jacob can just sneak in, why are you using Polyjuice Potion to pretend to be Theseus? It feels like you could have done anything. nothing yeah. or anything else. Oh, my gosh. You could have disguised yourself as Jacob Kowalski, clearly. <laughs> yes. like, it's easier to steal his hair. It's ridiculous. So then there is this security woman in charge of this library. I guess it's like it's a combination of Gringotts and the ministry where there are safes now, but they're not in Gringotts. So it's similar to the safety deposit box slash vault situation in Gringotts. But now this is in the ministry in France. I, I don't know. I'm so confused by yeah. it. It seems like like the post office or something. Yeah. And then the lady in charge just like lets them in and they are so bad about lying about being Theseus. He doesn't even have the polyjuice on anymore. Yeah. And he just gets in. There was a scene where like they cast spells at Theseus because real Theseus sees Newt disguised as fake Theseus. And then. Oh, yeah. I actually really Tina liked shoots that. shoots a spell at him and Newt likes it. Like, that's kind of fun. I liked it. I only liked the line where he said that was like the best thing that's ever happened or something like that. I liked that. Yeah. Something fun. I enjoy that. I love it. Love a fun little sibling rivalry. It's great. But then it's immediately washed away because he just very poorly lies to the security woman who doesn't check or do any sort of magical check. She's just like, oh, I believe what you just said. But then she like, she, it like pans up to her face and there's like a little cheeky like smile on it. And it's like, yeah, do, do you believe them? I don't like, or did you just let these strangers in thinking they're going to fuck everything up? And that's fine. Maybe she's doing the wizarding equivalent of pressing the silent alarm mm. because eventually she comes in with the cats. So maybe it was something where she smirks because she knows I'm going to get these evil demon cats and I'll just let them in and then I'll bring the cats <laughs> in. But it feels like an easier solution to this is saying no or can I see some ID? Fully. Yeah. There's no ID. It, when she's, um, when Hermione's 
disguised as Bellatrix and going into Gringotts. It's this like whole operation and there are stakes, but there's no stakes in any of this film. Like, I don't really care if they get thrown out of the ministry because they're always fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And anytime they get locked up, Pickett just uses his bow trouble yes. skills to undo every lock that exists. So nothing matters. And the Niffler can get out of anything. Like, he he's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be okay. So then Newton and Tina have the most frustrating conversation about the Lita and Theseus engagement thing. I am just screaming at my TV at this point to just say what happened. Just tell her what happened. It's so indirect. And he's saying like, oh, I want you to be happy, but I'm not happy. And don't be happy because I'm not happy. And on top of how terrible this conversation is, time and place. <laughs> You've got big fish to fry right now. And this is even more impetus for you just to be like, Oh, by the way, Tina, I heard through Queenie that you think I'm engaged to Lita. I'm actually not. That's my brother. Boom, over. I get that he is awkward, and maybe this is him not being good at conversations with people, but it was just, it's not endearing. It's just frustrating. It was annoying. Also, didn't they, like, walk there together? Like, couldn't they have discussed this on the way? (laughs) Not in the middle of the vaults. First thing, just, oh, by the way, uh, been meaning to tell you, I know you're really mad at me. Uh, Actually, I'm not engaged to Lita Lestrange. Just want to clear that up. Also, big crush on you, by the way. (laughs) Just feels like you could be more direct. Your eyes look like Salamander's eyes. (laughs) All out in the open. Great. (laughs) (laughs) And another thing, Here's a fun British quandary live on the pod with UK coach Brendan Daddy James. Okay, lay it on me. He has his collar popped. Is this a British thing to pop no. your Pico collar? Uh, okay. I noticed this and I literally <laughs> said to Patty, who was next to me, I was like, why do all the wizards have their collars up? It's not that whimsical. I also don't think it was a 1920s thing either. I've seen like maybe like maybe 1920s gangsters or like you have it up when the wind is cold or something but it's not effective and it's definitely not something you just have all the time when they're indoors you'd be like oh i'm indoors Floop. yeah or like maybe take off your like scarf and jacket that you're always wearing news commander yeah i mean it's a nice jacket and a nice scarf so it's i guess true. he wants to just show it's everybody true. look at this thing i've got it <laughs> so lita then enters this safety deposit box room and very conveniently I get you have to do it for the purpose of the movie. Reads the note out loud, yeah. which is just... It's like, oh, wow. Oh. What would they have done if she didn't read that out loud? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she also calls forth the very, like, pillar that they are clinging to as well. It's just, it's all very mm-hmm. convenient. It's very, very convenient. So she does the spell to turn the thing that they're hiding behind. It's circumrota, mm. which... You don't have to take Latin in high school to know what that means. And (laughs) you rotate it and you have Newt and Tina are on the other side. And then the evil multiplying Matago cats come in. These anime cats. (laughs) (laughs) Why are they animated like that? They've just got these huge eyes. They look like they're from like Dragon Ball Z or something. I believe that they are something, when I did the Fantastic Beast book episodes, I don't know if they were added into the books in the later editions or not or something, but one of my guests brought up that I think they're one of the beasts that is based off of folklore that exists. Yeah. So maybe they were trying to mimic, maybe it's an Asian style folklore and, and they were trying to mimic that. But That's true, but they do look like Pokemon. Yeah, they do feel very <laughs> incongruous to the other beasts we've seen. They do feel not 
in the right universe. Yeah, they didn't look like they were there. Because everything else, like, at least kind of looks like an animal. Even the Kelpie is like, what if a horse was made out of kelp and swam? And then the Zoo was like, what if a cat was kind of like a saber-toothed tiger and was just really big? Yeah. So it feels like everything else is, like, at least trying to be related to a real animal, where this is, like, cat tangential at best. Yeah, it's a, it's a cartoon cat that they've just, like, put it. I wonder if, like, the, like, other cultured influenced animation style might be a thing if it's not i think it's inexcusable (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so they show up they only multiply if you try to do spells at them or they only attack if provoked and tina attacks them the aura doesn't know what to do newt gets the zowu to conquer them and then apparently the zowu can teleport because now they're just out of the ministry and they're somewhere else i had no idea what was happening yeah it's not clear have they died did they fall in water yeah (laughs) and then they leave and i was like oh it just teleported because of course it does yeah (laughs) so they end up going back to the tomb and i have to say now at this point this is going to be such a lengthy discussion okay? because I have so many problems with the scene okay. that we have to cut this episode here. <laughs> I'm ready. So, Seven minutes of scene time. So here we go. We're going we're gonna to end this episode of Potterless <laughs> about Crimes of Grindelwald. I didn't want to do this. I told myself, like, don't do four episodes about Crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> but it's too upsetting not to. So we're going to cut it here and we will pick up next week. We're going to just come in with some great energy of the worst scene in cinematic history. I'm ready. But, Dottie, thank you so much for joining on this episode. If people want to find you doing stuff on the internet or wherever, where can they do so? Thank you so much for having me. You can find my writing on um, Twitter, on Patreon, um, all at Dottie James. So D-O-T-T-I-E James. Um, you should be able to find me on there. And I talk about Harry Potter semi-often because I love it. I hate this. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for taking the time and talking about this movie that you despise. I appreciate it. Listeners, thank you for listening. And until next time, as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter before they eat a calamari appetizer, <laughs> wizard on. Oh my goodness. Spring is becoming more of a thing and the weather's nicer and maybe you want to go out for some walks and while you're walking, you want to listen to some podcasts. If you need new podcasts to listen to, why don't you check out what we've got at Multitude? From Exolore to Join the Party to Spirits to Horse to Meddling Adults to Potterless, there are a bunch of wonderful shows that you can listen to. You could even listen to Head Heart Gut, our multi-crew exclusive show. All of that, all of those podcasts, information about them and more lives at Multitude.Productions. Potterless was created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert, as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Klaus Lopu, Marchismo, Juan Sanfilio, Rosemary, Dodge, Marie, Lisa C. Keen, Audra, Eleanor Curlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Alex Consolver, John Cocker, Noel Basile, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, and Nikki Harris, Kine, Amanda Alfred, Kafir Shaltiel, Sarah Shetter, Marta Morrison, Maya Florsake, Georgia Davis, Skyla Lilly, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskovchova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Harry Crumpler, Connie Binkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Marco Zapeta, Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeal, Kevin Stewart, Jarl Spivan, Peter McGrath, Jan and Rose Dab, Callahan and Darius, Leah Reed, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Becca Spry, Reese Dignan, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Madison, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, Sabrina Balsiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie DeGrave, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mangor Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kitas, Laurel Happy, Erica Butler, Miranda, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sam 
Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Lior Nachum, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Henrika Wolf, Casey Canales, Magan Stempen, Zat, Jack Gitzes, Sophia Leone, Dane Nemcher, Robin Garcia, Chick Parr, Mermaid and her Daddykins, Gregory Hughes, Caw Caw, Mother Feathers, Nina Jazalik, Ribbon Monstrosity, Brittany Harper, Gavin Miller, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Emily Quinlan, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Jenny Browers, Laura, Hila, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Kirsten R. Cunningham, Hufflepuff alumni, Brett Clausen, Mary Price, Artemis, Trans People People, Samantha McNamara, Nina Campley, Tatiana Schmitova, Taylor Roberts, Karis Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Tony Joe McHufflepuff, Punkfish, Wire Warrior 4976, Catherine Karolchak, Joe Sander, Michael PV, Maya Saunders, Jasmine Ellis, Nilly, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web designed by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Kambamanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can at Facebook.com slash Potterless, Twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, and Reddit.com slash R slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com. Bonus episodes and bonus content lives at Patreon.com slash Potterless, and merchandise lives at PotterlessPodcast.com slash merch. If you want to participate in our charity raffle that is going through March 2021, you can head on over to PotterlessPodcast.com slash raffled prints. And if you want to tell someone about the show, you shoot them a direct message, you talk about it on social media, you leave a rating and review on iTunes, all of those things help, and I would very much appreciate it. Again, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Wizard on! Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.